Great. So welcome here to the Blueprints of Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practices to navigate the critical points in the football ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan and a career path for any athlete to bank on. So today we have my guy, Gerald Smoke Dixon, um, Maryland's general manager of personnel and recruiting, formerly Vanderbilt's director of scouting, dynamic personnel professional that's worked in many different aspects in the industry from a high school coach, division one coach, NFL scout, director of football operations, and prior to Smoke's uh, professional football working experience, he started four years at the University of Alabama and then went on to the Detroit Lions, Buffalo Bills, and then playing in NFL Europe from 05 to 07 and winning a great cup. So let's welcome Gerald Smoke Dixon to the Blueprint of Success. Man, JK, I appreciate you having me on, man. Oh, man, thanks for coming on. And congratulations on a new move to uh, Maryland. I mean, man. Appreciate all my it. notes had Vanderbilt, you know, you're the director of scouting down there and just, you know, came up about a week ago that you got named the general manager up at, at Maryland back at home. Man, it's good to be back home. Finally, it's been a, it's like I said, I haven't been here since 16. I mean, we had that little short stint with the XFL, but right. that was a few months, great months, but officially just landed back. And matter of fact, down at my mom and dad's house, about three minutes away from here. So it feels oh, good. That's great, man. Full circle moment. So let's jump into that. With it, man. You basically touched every part of the football business, man, from coaching, player, high level player in NFL, you know, like uh, general manager in college, director of scouting and even DFO and started football league, man, just seeing it all the way through. What's one piece of advice that you think you would give to someone that has aspirations of getting into the football business, whether it's a coach, player or anything that they can just bank on throughout the entire ecosystem? Come in humble, ready to work, and, and there's no job that, that, that you possibly can't do. If they ask you to take the trash out, do that with the best quality you probably can because you never know what and who's looking at you to ever give you that recommendation for your next job. So do everything with the first-class mentality. Do everything with a first-class mentality. I like that because that's a lot, a lot of things that guys are saying. It's just kind of being where your feet are and like understanding that football is such a vast sport and like all the different mechanisms that work together that you guys show your value from the bottom all the way up so jump into the recruiting process we understand that you're a top guy coming out of dmv area which is a talent rich area just before you know we talked about you starting a little pipeline a little bit but you end up going to alabama let's talk about your recruiting process how was that entire process for you so my recruiting process started pretty late um obviously we had the, one of the better players in the nation on the team at that time donnell dockett Ended up going to Florida State, and um, he helped me out tremendously because a lot of the scouts and, and, and coaches were coming up to see Donnie play. And at that point, I understood, like, hey, listen, I was a, I was a little guy on that on that team. I ended up growing four or five inches over a summer into a five, ten and a half body that you see today. And um, I really rode his coattail because when they oh, came wow. to see him, the, the story goes, Coach Sweeney always say, he came up to see the cow, but he ended up with the calf. So he ended up with the calf, and the calf turned out pretty good. <laughs> so when you say late, when's, when's late? When's late in the recruiting process for you? Um, for me, it started out my junior year. Okay. You know? Okay. So, for I mean, considered now and today's age, that's, that's pretty late because most kids are getting offered in their freshman and sophomore years. And if you're not doing that, you're kind of late on the bus. But during our time, about our – see our junior sophomore years is when the letters and i mean i'm speaking I'm, I'm 41 now so i'm speaking really old the letters started coming in you know when you go to the mailbox and the mailbox is all stuffed and and, and that was your hype train and you know back then i was a huge ricky henderson fan 
and Deion Sanders fan. So I tried my best to promote myself. So anytime that I had an opportunity to promote me, I stepped in front of the camera and you got everything. If it was a newspaper, you got it. And that's what helped my whole recruiting process. And we were always on the train of going to camps and proving yourself. So I saved up my money the whole summer to go to University of Maryland camp, um, jumped on my bicycle, rode across from um, Montgomery County to PG, which is about 15 minutes. So I jumped on my, my 10 speed, rode over oh, wow. in the morning. It was a three day camp, came over. Uh, one I don't, you didn't play with Brian Johnson, but one year old alone, Brian Johnson was out there, and I knew he was going to be the guy. He was from Eastern Tech, and I said, he's going to be there. I got to put him on Derek Johnson. Derek went to um, UNC. I said, when these dudes show, show up in the line, I got to go up there and get in the business. That's so, it. so you know, back back then, it was it was all competition for me. I was a super, I, a super competitive. And I used to sit there and count, like, one, two, three. Okay, boom. He's the third one in the line. Cuz, look out the way. And I jumped up, and I said, hey, I got to have him. So we talk so about that all the time about. Pep, Pep. Go ahead. No, we talk about that all the time about dual lane branding, right? When we talk about the NIL space nowadays, and a lot of guys get focused on like, oh, I got to get a brand, I got to get my social media together. But like the dual lane branding is like kind of branding yourself on the field first, like understanding kind of what you're saying. Like you talk about, like you built your brand on being competitive. All right, yeah. next person that's up. This is that. And so with that brand translation, like if you were to build a brand outside, you can have an authentic curated brand where it's like, oh, it's a, it's a scrappy football player. But you were kind of doing that already. I thought that's very interesting before the NIL thing. No, like no doubt. No doubt. Because I mean, that brand thing. You, no, I mean, we didn't understand that we were branding ourselves, but mm -hmm. you saw Dion put it on that way. Ricky Henderson spoke of his name was Ricky first. And then you heard Ricky, 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 Ricky to the whole point. And it's just like, dang. It's Ricky Henderson. So, right. you know, I, I got the nickname Smoke. So every time I just, you just kept saying smoke, 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 smoke. And I said, I'm getting the smoke over and over again. I've been saying that since back in the 90s. So, oh, I didn't even know that. That's yeah, how you got yeah, your name. Yeah. <laughs> I got that. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother story the whole nother time. So <laughs> that was my first like, coming out party here at the University of Maryland when it was Bird Stadium okay. out there in, in, in on the practice fields. Right. In, oh, as soon as that as soon as that happens, they show you interest. Did you think that the process was serious at that point, or you're just like, I mean, Darnell Dockett, that, he was a big time player coming out, so you probably saw the type of attention that he was getting and things of that nature. Were you comparing your attention to his? Like, he's no, getting I, all this. I never I'm just got into the comparison of who's what. I just knew that I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm a kid. I'm a young kid from Jamaica. You know, I, I was born in Jamaica. My father came to the United States to establish a greater life, a better life for his kids. So my whole intention was, I'm not going to allow my parents to pay for college because obviously we couldn't. There were seven of us. I was like, if they're not going to pay for one, they're not going to pay for me. So any means necessary was through academics. I was a 3.7 student, but I knew that I had a little bit of athleticism in me to get a little bit more out of it, and um, that was my main goal. So once I got my first scholarship, I didn't know about the recruiting process at all. Okay. So once I got my first one, I committed that day. I call, oh. I went I went home. I sat down with my mom and dad said, hey, listen, they're giving me this opportunity not to pay for college. And Loxley, you know, if, if you've ever been around Coach Loxley, he has one of the best closing arguments. Like, I don't know it's why funny. that man's not a lawyer, but he'll close the deal out. He's something like Mario Rivera in the ninth. It's funny you so say that. We'll talk about it over again, but somebody's going to catch it. 100%. <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit later, but he was actually somebody that uh, he had a heavy recruit. 
recruited me when he was at University of Florida. Now he was a definite good recruiter. I mean, yeah, one of the best. Oh man, it's not it's, it's, it's special. Yeah. So, so that, that was that my first, whole process. I, mean, I just wanted to make sure that my mom and dad did not have to pay for college. Right. And right. once so you know, like, you find out, like, whoa, I'm all right. Yeah. You know, my first game against at that point, the number one team my senior year was Sherwood. I hit him up for something crazy. Then that's when I finally realized, like, yo, I'm all right. <laughs> but you're already committed at this point. Yeah, I'm already committed. committed. Like, so I'm going okay, to Maryland. So, okay, so by, so by the time you step on the field, so that's interesting. So by the time you step on the field, you never really had that thing of kind of feeling like you had to chase offer. You got an offer, and then you kind of came into your thing of like, oh, I'm nice, for real. I'm like, nice, yeah. Because okay. on top of that, I went to East Carolina's camp. Because I want to get because it was really more of I want to get my East Coast buzz going, then we work my way down south. And North Carolina was like the first. I mean, I was riding the Peter Pan bus, the Greyhound. Jumped on the Greyhound down to Union Station. My cousin Kurt bought me a ticket. Went down to East Carolina. Jumped off of it. Walked I think like two or three miles just in time for them to have um, warm up start. Oh wow! And I'm so sitting like, there. I'm cramping. I'm sitting there chucking down water, but I had to get it. So. So you're used to like you're jumping around going camp to camp. You say you like you know you smoke with all of it. Like did you play multiple sports that you were like comfortable going from place to place, jumping in and just competing? Yeah, you know. So I was big in track. I'm not. I'm not as fast. Okay. I wasn't as fast as you. I wasn't world class fast, but I can cook a little bit. <laughs> I can cook a little bit. So I was always doing summer track, baseball, basketball. I mean, I just kept myself busy. Because, you know, I, my parents just wanted me out of the way in terms of trouble. And another way to keep yourself out of trouble is always just keep yourself busy. So the, the multi-sport thing, I did that growing up. Springtime was track. Fall, it was, it, was, it was football. Winter was basketball. Back around to springtime again, it was track. And in the summertime, I ran track just to stay in shape. And then played um, summer league basketball. So I just kept myself busy. Just so I can just stay out the way and every all the, the the nonsense that usually go around in in most of the neighborhoods in the world. If you're that busy, you're not gonna get involved. In it, for the most that's part, that's true. No, oh, that's true. I mean, staying staying occupied is definitely a big piece. So, like with that, like do you feel like that helped with your competitive edge? Right, you keep staying on that that smoke aspect where you're like ready for it. Because I always feel like guys that play different sports, especially track, I feel like. Athletes that run track, there's like a mental fortitude that comes with it because, man, it's me versus you. You get smoked. Like, I always, people always talk about me growing up and like being fast. And like, I kind of hold it with some humility because, I mean, I wasn't the fastest guy growing up in Pittsburgh when I was coming up. Like, I always, right. there's my friend Andrew Johnson. He went to go play running back at Miami, but he, I, I never beat him. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's like a 210 pound running back, running just as fast, if not faster. So I'm like, well, I got to just keep getting faster. But like, Coming from a DMV, like, rich area, and you're always competing with, like, top basketball players running track. You got Darnell Dockett right there. Once you get the offer from Maryland, what made you just say, like, that's it, I'm committing? Not understanding the process okay, at all. Not having anyone else out of my immediate family. I'm the first one to graduate from college. Okay. So first not even understanding the whole process of, listen, that's just one, but there's many more to come. I was just looking at it saying, hey, listen. I'm not going to pay for college. My parents aren't going to pay for college. And it's right down the street. Um, that whole buzz of, hey, listen, if we can't get that guy to come, you're going to be the main one that we plan everything around. And you got a chance to play both ways because that's when Chuck was coming up and doing the t both ways thing. And, you know, every, every kid wanted to be 
Like I don't care what anybody says. We, we ain't gonna talk about that school, but number two, <laughs> that that's what every young kid in the late nineties wanted to be. You saw it. You saw him play a little bit of receiver, some defense. My my big brother, which I call Omar Evans, um, was like that in college. I mean, high school, and Sean Springs was the one before because Sean grew up around here too. Went to um, Springbrook. My rival high school that all of my sisters graduated from. I'm the only knucklehead that went to Penn Brand. So I, I went against the grain a little bit. So okay. Sean obviously was doing his thing. And you see that growing up, you're like, hey, listen, that's what I want to be like. Right, right. A hundred percent. So you're committed at this point. Like you said, you weren't informed into the process. Take me through the process of like, all right, I'm, I'm committed to Maryland. How does it get to the point where you start getting SEC offers? And understanding, like, all right, this is kind of the route I want to go. It got to the point that I started jumping off on the film. And everybody, one, everyone that was coming up to see Donnie was like, hold up. Who's he? Is this the, your junior year? And this is my junior year. And that was okay. that was me. And then we just, and then the train started going. And then I got Coach Sweeney from Alabama came up, offered me. Uh, Lance Thompson, which is now our inside linebacker coach, he was at Georgia Tech at that point offered me and back then and just like it is now it's it's a copycat business a lot of people won't say it but i said you know a lot of people aren't doing the work of grinding through film uh, collecting the proper information evaluating the the prospect properly but if one school offers and and they're close to what you think you should offer most schools just piggyback and do the same thing and that was going on then and still continuing on currently and that's why you see a lot of teams miss on a lot of prospects because they're not doing the homework on the players. That's a critical piece, man. Like just doing the homework in the background, understanding where it's like you got to go inside out and understand what it is. Getting sometimes in like this college football in general, getting to that sales mentality sometimes with coaches, like I just got to get a guy. And if you're not doing the work, man, that's when you get those stats. It's like, oh, this five-star did this, this four-star, and then you guys go to the Super Bowl. And I'm like, well, this guy was a two-star. This guy was a three-star. Right. I was like, ah, you would have talked to him. I bet you would have realized it. Part, it's 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 fit. It's, it's for the fit. player. It's fit for the family. It's fit and for the university or college. It's also a fit. So for each 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 prospect coming in, I always tell them. I said, evaluate the staff, evaluate the the social life, the culture of the staff, because the place is the place. Most colleges, most college towns are college towns. Unlike the University of Maryland, we're stuck in the urban city. I mean, th- this is it. You're in Northern Virginia. You got Baltimore. You got DC. You got the, the Metroplex. It's different than most places, but you're going to get the same college vibe because all of us are stuck in our one little community when we step on campus. You guys got a nice community up there. You know what I mean? So so when, when, once you get there, just just fill it. And it's just like you bought a house now. Most, most young people haven't bought a house, but when you first walk into the house, you smell it, you walk around, you look around the rooms, you can see yourself there. You say, wow, this is home. And whenever you get that feeling, that's home. Don't that fight it. Your decision you fight it for a long time, you're going to miss out. Did you base your decision on that? Like when you felt like yes. you went to Alabama, you felt like this is home? It was home for me. Can you I tell had... me a little bit about that? Because like Alabama is very different than the DMV. So, like man. So, once I decommitted from Maryland and opened up my whole recruiting process again, it was, it was Alabama, Michigan, Florida. East Carolina had an opportunity as well, too. But it came down to really... Maryland, Alabama, and Michigan at the end of it. And, you know, Coach Sweeney, Coach Cottrell, and Coach Cheese, Charlie Harbison at that point, were all recruiting me. And, you know, my sister was real sick at that time. 
And they typically, they recruited me, but they recruited my family, but they always kept an eye on my sister. And if everybody knew that, it was very dear to my heart. You know, that's why I tell, you know, when, when a lot of us go out and we're recruiting, our pitch is to the player. But at the end of the day, it's not the player. It's the player that's making the decision in that. You know, who you connecting with in that family is a major part of it. And if you don't have those instincts or the, the way to get the information, well, you're going to fall back late and you're going to miss out on opportunities. Because we all go in there saying, oh, I got to get this kid. Now you got to get somebody within that network in that community that's going to allow that person to say yes and feel comfortable with you when you do leave. So it was my sister for me. A lot of people don't know that. It was my sister. And once my sister said sister it, was, was the VIP. it was good, it was good. And that's where Coach Sweeney came in and, and it, you know, he gave you that, that, that big uncle feel. And he was always checking in. So I said, if they're checking in on me and they're all the way down south, let me go ahead and, and really start doing my research on them. And then Marvin Brown um, was at the math that left the year before I went down there. And they, you know, I just called Boogie. So I called him and, and check in. Went down there for the spring game. And I was like, yo, I can see myself here. You know? Okay. Cats are playing games and whatever. And they didn't treat you like the outside. It was like a hug around. You say, come on in. Okay. And at that time, I needed that because my sister, my sister was really sick. She ended up passing away. And I just needed a family in the network. And staying here in Maryland um, wasn't going to be that for me because I would have to go home every single day and have that the understanding my sister's not there. And at that, in that time, I don't think a lot of people understood that I was really just getting away from everything because I needed that to grow. And Alabama was the best spot for me, including the, the, the players that was there because I want to say we finished top two or maybe one that year in recruiting in the recruiting class. Yeah, that's that's something that's calm, very... close to the 2009 class. I think that they had that really turned around the the program to what it is now. Is what we right, had in '99. So down to Alabama. That class, I want to say um, seven of us started as um, freshmen, and we won the SEC that year. At that point, Florida was rolling. Florida was, I don't know what the crazy record was at that point, but we ended up beating them in the swamp by an extra point. Then we lost an extra point in the last game of that season to a team that I don't even want to talk about. But Brady was fouled. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so it's, it's a pretty, that's an interesting story. You went down to Alabama, like, at that point in your life to kind of get away. You know what I mean? Sort of this thing, like, trying to get away. And it was actually a, a good fit for football and a space for you to grow. Kind of like you actually acknowledge. That's pretty, actually very mature to acknowledge kind of some hurdles that you might have to go through if you stay close to home. Maybe, maybe even more of a comfort because I think of, when I go to D, when I go to the DMV and I'm I'm kicking it in DC and or you know in Maryland, PG County, it's a lot different than than Alabama. So I always wonder how the guys get down there. So that's that's Yo, that's, that's very telling. So here here's the crazy thing. So I, I needed that to grow, but the language barrier, dude. Uh, listen, first of all, I'm Jamaican, so English is my second language. So I'm fig- I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Right. And then I get down and I'm hearing like words. I'm like. I, did, I ran at least four to five days out of the week just because I didn't say sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, come from, I'm, I'm like, I, I say, man, all the time, like, man, what you talking about? So, you know, down there, like, dude, you got to run some laps. So I got to a point. And I was like, hey, listen here. All y'all going to do, bless you. All you're going to do is just keep me in shape because I'm not saying sir. Cause I don't even get it. 
I didn't understand my um, strength and conditioning coach, Terry Jones um, Sr., Big TJ, until, what, my junior year? So I kept, I had to repeat every single exercise. And I was like, I ended up just saying, hey, listen, let me pull you to the side. It's not that I'm being real disrespectful. I just can't understand a word you're saying to me. (laughs) (laughs) Cultural difference, man. That's real. Look at the culture of the team. You like went through it. So. No, nah, that's that's big because you went through it though, and it's like I think you're highlighting that you were kind of mentally tough to deal with it. Because like I, I mean, I see a lot of times where if that's the case, or someone's getting like kind of breaking down by the, like the cultural aspect of it, it kind of messes with the rest of their areas in school. Where it's like, man, I'm not going to class. They don't compete as hard because of those different aspects, whether it's the weight room or just the cultural thing. Like you're saying, right. I'm used to talking like man this, man that, and they're like, hey, sir, we do this down here, you know, regardless, of, you know. I'm just I'm just sore. But going down there, I mean, it, it, it helped me because I, I, I realized that being uncomfortable for me is my comfort. Because mm. the second I get comfortable, it gets too easy. Then we all know what it is, man. Oh, that's that's big, man. That's critical there, man. Being comfortable with the uncomfortable aspects and just growing into that. It works for me. I don't know if it works for everybody, but. It, it's it's just human nature. Once you get comfortable, it becomes a routine, right? And I know everyone says you have to have a routine, which, which helps you out. But that routine can become so second nature to you that you just make that part of your lifestyle. So how are you improving? Right, because that's a big thing. Uncomfortable. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm about to say that's a big piece that you're touching on. Is like rather than being comfortable getting routine, it's about pushing yourself beyond that comfort level, right? Like kind of right. what you're saying. Like I'm here, keep pushing. All right, I'm comfortable here. Like you bench pressing. All right, I'm good at 185, 225. All right, 250, 270. Like and keep pushing. That's, I mean, that's a very big piece, and that's critical. You guys pick that up. Just continue. Because I don't to know if you remember when when we first went through spots. it, and we we're talking about operations. Like I was like, dude. This is yeah. my first time doing it. And you pulled me to the side and you said, hey, listen, I, I think we're at the D.C. United game. Yeah. We're at and the you DC, pulled me to the yep. side and said, hey, listen, like man. I know, I know it's the first time, but just think about it. Just look around. How many of us, and I'm looking around like you talking about us, like how many of us you see us in operation? I was like, he's like, just understand that you can evaluate talent. But running this whole entire thing and know how the first bus to the last person gets off the bus is a critical fact. And I was like, yo, that's deep. Because in my mind, I'm thinking all personnel. Then I just then, then I started jumping in on you. And I was like, all right, cool. And I used to hit you. Hey, listen, how you do this, that, that, that. And I was like, you know what? Operations it is. And I just, and I just fully just dove into it. And that's just my, my nature and the way that I think. I want to master everything that I possibly do. That's why I like starting off not knowing anything. And figuring it out as I go so I can educate the next person that comes along. And it definitely shows in your, just your career path, right? Like from a co- football coach, like, all right, I get that. I'm going to scouting personnel. All right, got that. I'm going to uh, operations. Got All right, now I'm going to college, a different level of combining operations and personnel. Now a little higher level, general manager in college, which are just now coming out. So like rise to that range, jumping into college after, you know, being out and then being back in it for two years and back to a general manager and, spot. And so that comes from a lot of it from my dad. Okay. My Talk dad, to me about that. Right. So my father left left Jamaica in 1981, January 20th. And I was only a few months. I'm born 10-7-1980. So I'm a okay. baby. I mean, he just helped me for a few months. Just helped me for a few months. So at the end of the day, 
I'm looking at him like, hey, listen, he tried everything. Going to a country not even knowing what's what. Right. And my dad only has a second or third grade education at best. So not knowing how to properly read, manage, or do anything. All, all, all of his kids have gone through college. That's big. And been college graduates. And that's the biggest thing that I can say. I, I look at it and said, any type of obstacle that I have in life, I just look back to my dad and like, hey, listen, man, this young man in, the, in his late 20s jumped on the airplane, left my mom. And at that time, my five sisters, myself, my brother didn't come along at that point. And just to say, I, I got to go try and give these kids a better opportunity. And he was so unselfish with what he did. Then how can I not do it? You know, I have to say that you I don't like know, that was I never get when to the level of him, but every single day I'm working towards that. Hundred percent. I'm saying, did you feel like that was fuel when you were going through it, like kind of understanding his story? Like, look, I this no doubt. nothing. Like, no matter to this huge. day, yeah, yeah. To to this, this, I mean, if, if, if anything comes up and it's like, oh my god, this is stressful. I'm just, I just look, I just look at my dad. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't even got to call Steel, but I understand what Steel's going to say. Hey, listen, man, you got to try it. You got to try it. Try it see if it works out for you. I love that. And that's, that, that's always been his mantra for me. Like, hey, man, I want to stay at Maryland. I want to do this. He's like, hey, I just want to go down to Alabama. Because, you know, down south, that's where all the players were. He's like, man, I got to go down south to figure my whole thing out. He's like, hey, listen, just, just do it. Try it. See what happens. And that's just him. So I, I, I get that same I get that same energy and I give it to my kids. That's amazing. Were you thinking about post-football career during, like, the recruiting process? Like, when you decided to go to Alabama, did you think, like, man, I'm going to work in football. I'm going to be a coach afterwards. Not a clue. No. I, I'm t- the only thing I, I was thinking about is I got to get down there and I got to see how good of a player that I really am. Okay. And okay. I had the, 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 the awe moment. You know, when, when you first start playing as, as a freshman, and I didn't start right away. You know, I was third string. And it was I was on a transfer. I had one bad practice, and I know most people are like, oh, my God. I said, one bad practice, and I went up to uh, Coach Dubos's office, and I was like, hey, listen, man, I, I think I'm going to go back to whatever school I was talking about. And he said, all right, just call your dad, because he knew. I mean, they did such a good job of understanding what my triggers were at that time. It was my dad. So, all right, pick the phone up and call your dad. And now you remember the old school phones you spun around that you had to actually dial numbers. Yeah, the rotary joints. I looked at the phone, put my hand over like this, and I just, I, it, all the images of my dad just, just ran back in my head. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I think about it. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, hey, listen, I give everybody opportunity once to come here and talk about wanting to transfer. And it wasn't like jumping in the portal now. You had to at least go through a process, sit out of the and do all that other stuff. It's like, don't ever come back to my office with that because you are as good as players as everyone on this team. You just got to learn how to just grow through it. You had one bad day. You're not going to have a lot of bad days. This is one. Just figure this thing out. And then it just started all rolling. I started making plays. And he said, hey, you're going to play 50% of the game against Florida. And, you know, Florida at that point, I mean, that's after Jacquez and Riddell. And, I mean, it's like, oh, my mouth dropped. So I was like, you <laughs> believe in me that much as a true oh, freshman to say that you're going to play 50% against that team? I was like, all right, cool. Then after that, made some plays and homecoming came out and started, and that was it. I never got out to start and roll four years oh, in. Man, that's crazy. 
And that's and kudos to that coach for even handling you that way, like back then, right? Like you always hear about like back then coaches were like, Oh, you can't leave we're holding you hostage, but almost like there was a process in place if they were to let you go that you still had to kind of weather the storm. But like he kind of recruited you on the sense of like tapping into your own nature like all right you don't want to compete to an extent like that's kind of what he said to you under tone right and, and, like, and, and, and if and if you knew me at that point you knew that put my back against the wall and ask me what's up and i give you whatever you're looking for plus some and gotcha. that and 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 it, and, it, and it comes into play with most of these young people that jump in and out of the portal and, and i'm all for it right because there's some situations that you just got to get out that's toxic but every situation is not that bad it's just the easy way out is not always the best way. You know what I mean? Because yeah. once you start getting in and out of certain situations, you find ways to get out of them instead of just figuring how to maneuver through them. And that's just working your way through problems. That's true. And for the most part, it's cool. But if you recruited that young person, you should know that person well enough to tap into them and say, OK, good. You're leaving because of this, but I'm going to give you this option because when you were, I was recruiting you, you told me that you wanted to get these things done. Now, here we go. We're at one level, step one of difficulty, adversity. What are you willing to do to get past this? Are we going to work together and get past this? Because I'm telling you, at some point, you're going to have a situation that comes up with your wife, your kids, some type of family dynamic that you're going to have to work through. That you can easily just say, I'm out of here, I'm running. Nah, sometimes you got to stand up, figure it out, so later on you can get those problems solved. That's true. And that's amazing. That's a, that's a great point, man, for all these guys listening just with the transfer portal and just college sports in general. Because like, I think just the overall theme of what he's saying is like having his back against the wall and just in college sports and just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's just a football ecosystem in general like whether you're a coach player no doubt and after the first day of practice you're uncomfortable so it's a matter of like how to just deal with injuries coming back from 100 percent injury rate you're always physically uncomfortable as a coach right you're man jake you knew when you went out there is a, a true freshman there i don't know who that receiver was at that point but he probably cooked you coach and you're coming from where you lined up against everybody and you gave them the business right now you come here and cats hitting you with double moves bop bop and they skating on you, holding you off as you, you know, you don't, your weight ain't up right now, holding you off with one arm. I, I, I'll, actually, I'll actually challenge that and say when I came in, I was jumping stuff. Like I was like, I was arrogant. I came in, me and Derek from the DMV came in, spring right. ball, and we was jumping stuff. And then Mike Robinson at the time started throwing double moves. And then I got, then I started getting burnt. And then that's when they kind of was like, ah, this ain't high school. So that was, like, yeah. I'm and, and then you have that humbling look come over your face like, yo, you yeah. just got to. They let Miles go up first, though. So it's like people come in as a freshman that goes down. Miles went like, shoo, and then they like, yes, like far, far. My, I was ready my to fight first touchdown, I got caught on me. T Martin threw a ball, a bomb. <laughs> it was a jump ball to David Martin. And he posted <laughs> me up and snagged it on my little tail. And I was like, and I mean, you're at Bryant Denny. I think at that point it was like 85,000. It was third week in October. That's a huge rivalry. And, and I'm looking around like, yo, my people's back in the crib because of CBS game. <laughs> you have millions of seen you just get done in. Now, right. two things. You can go hide, which you can't. Right. You can point fingers, which you can try, but everybody else knows what's going on. Or you can buck up, come back, say, all right, cool, line back up. I remember my, my man Miguel uh, Merrick grabbed me, pulled me up and said, hey, listen, that's one of a few. Don't let it happen again. We believe in you. Let's go. 
Let's go. And, and, and for the most part, that's all you need. Someone, someone there just to encourage you. That's why in the whole recruiting process, you're chasing the logo and chasing the hype train. And I know there's money out there now, but at some point you're going to need a big brother, someone to put a shoulder, put an arm around your shoulders, somebody to hug you and say, hey, listen, champ, we're going to be all right. It goes far, far, far more than what the new logo is or whatever cash that you can you can throw in your pocket or whatever marketing deals you go. Because I learned, I mean, from from going to Alabama, I met my wife. I met some of my better friends in life. I figured out the opportunities that, that I can leave and go hours away and still accomplish whatever I want to accomplish, go out of the country and still be I, successful and that was just my journey of just leaving but also the the people that I was around developed me so much at that point because I was I was hurting I needed a family and that was a family that got would you say that was the best part of the recruiting process for you yes kind of like being able to pick up and that growth process Th- that that was it for me because football is football you I'm a, I, right. I, regardless if I would have went to state university whatever college in my heart of heart I knew I was on ball and right. have the opportunities to go on and play professionally and all that. But for my growth as a person, I needed that community. I needed that unit. The coaches that I was around at that time, I needed. I mean, just for me. I mean, that's huge because like the recruiting process ex- expedites the maturation process for a prospect. Whether it gets into it at 14, like you're treated like a you're treated like a grown man. By the time you come onto a campus and we get the measurables, we're judging you as if you're a finished product, even though you have like guys like you and me or got a kind of reshape the story but right it's it's a business from that standpoint and it like you said it expedites the growth process and you kind of learn things a little bit faster than most people but at right. the same time like that growth right. process that you're talking about and, and i know in in our, the current day that we sit right now you know financially these kids earn way more than we did um, right. when we we're in school so that part of it you got to understand too because in a few years you're going to get to the level of more opportunities but True story. I don't think that should ever like, outweigh your decisions on figuring out what's the right fit. It's just like when you were a free agent at one point. You know, there was money tossed at you that you could have went here. But would that would have been the best situation? Probably not. So when you go to a certain situation, it's like I take different job opportunities. For me, it was never financially based. It was more of opportunity and growth. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. actually, hey, you guys had success. You had success at Vanderbilt at um, recruiting, I said, yeah, it was cool, but the challenge was getting back home, and then Loxley getting on the phone with me. And the last message that he told me, and I don't think he even knew that I, that, that that's one that kicked me off was he said, "Do your research and find out how many African American coaches been national champions." And I just paused and I said, "For the culture, let's go to work." Go to work, man. Let's, Let's go, to, go work. to work. It's a challenge for me. And again, it's back home for both of us. True. So why not do it here? And the talent around here, dude, crazy. Can't argue with this talent. I'm a product of it. And yeah. we're going to slot this whole thing up. Man, you can't argue with it, man. Just even from recruiting times, even in the, when we're at the XFL, NFL, man, a lot of guys coming out of there, all different sports, man. DMV is a talent-rich area. What is the What was the worst part of the recruiting process for you? Um, getting on the phone and listening to car salesmen, 
like the, that coach that calls you, hey, buddy, this is the best. You're the best. I'm sitting here like that. That I, I, being polite and, you know, being raised properly by both my parents and my community, I was always, you know, when adults talk to you, listen um, and understand what they're trying to get to. But that that salesman pitch, man, it's a joke. And I and I and I and I, and I hear it. Yeah. You know, and some kids, and you know, they probably need that. But at the end of the day, how honest is a salesman? They're just trying to get that sale. So once you're sold. It's nothing else that they have invested in. But when someone's when, when some when somebody else is trying to invest himself and trying to make you into a better person, you gotta know the difference. So if you get on the phone with me today, I'm gonna send you the same story that I saw last week. And we're gonna connect off that same conversation. It's not gonna be a, the pitch that I have written down for you to hear to sell you this. So once you buy it, you can't use it anymore. I'm going to give you stories. I'm going to invest in you as a man, right? And I'm going to build you and culture me into this whole world. And then we're going to rock together. Every 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 guy that I've ever coached, till this day, we still connect. Good, bad, and different. If I, was, if I was Coach Smoke, the guy that got on your nerve, if I was Coach Smoke, the one that pushed you, at the end of the day, you know, I loved you and I had the best interest for you. Period. That's major. Simple as that. That's and so that was my whole thing. Just and, and I got rid of those those calls fairly early, but that was the worst one um, in lo- along the process. Just promising me things that that I know I probably get, but once those run out, like cash, <laughs> you know, this that, that that stuff runs out. What are you going to pour into me when I when I need you at my last when 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 I need advice on anything? What you got for me? I mean, that's, that's the cash or whatever that you promised. I mean, I, I can only buy a few things with that, and that thing's going to run out anyway. That's you true. Know? So what would be your key takeaway as you share with anyone going through the recruiting process now? When you're going through the recruiting process, do your research. Do your research on who's recruiting you and see what their pipeline has been. And that's not just, hey, hey, Coach A, Coach Corners, and 100% of their corners are in the NFL, Right. What did Coach Jay do with the last guy that was on his roster? The young man that was a four-star or five-star that never really panned out. Does Coach A still connect with that person? Did that person graduate? Did Coach A still send his mom a card and on her birthday? If you need Coach A to give you a recommendation, is he going to pick up the phone and say, listen, I got you. Regardless if you didn't start 100% of the games that we thought you were going to play, I still got you because I made that commitment to you and whoever was in that room with you, that I was going to take care of you as long as you both connect. That's what you should do. And that's what you should research. Not just the logo chasing and, and the false promises that most people can't hold up to at the end of the day. Because we all change shirts in a few years. Good, bad, and indifference. If you win a lot of games, you probably get promoted up. If you lose a lot of games, you get fired. But it's a connection and just, and just as real as that person can be with you on a day-to-day basis. That's just what it is. And if you want to and if you want to find out if that person is honest and if he's real, listen to that story. And if that story keeps changing, that's a lie. But if that story stays the same and there's substance behind that story and that substance involves you and your family and your community, and your network, that's honesty and trust. Give that person a chance, no matter what school they're recruiting you from. That's a real key right there. That's some real code breaking right there. Just saying if that's if that story starts changing. Yeah, you know how it is. 
Hey, that's that's big though. I don't I don't think people ever look at it like from a tactical standpoint of like what you're listening to and what you're kind of looking for to change. Because you're right. Because if you're looking and you're like kind of shooting stats, it'll be all over the place. But if you're like building a relationship, I mean, when we talk, it's it's the same. Like you know, you ain't probably you ain't gonna get something where you're like, oh, I ain't where that come from. You know what I mean? Because exactly. it's like <laughs> we ain't trying to recruit each other. It's like oh, you know how we deal. We seen each other in the fire and all that good stuff. Right. So that's big when you say that. So we jump back to your time as a player at Alabama. You talked about, you know, giving up a pass, T-Mart and all that stuff. You kind of saw like, all right, this is real business. When, when, when did you realize like off the field, like what you were in was like a, a big major business, to be honest with you? So after starting my first game, I want to say it was Southern Miss. I want to say I got a, a two picks and like a PBU. I played, I played solid that game. All in. And that <laughs> was okay. And then just leaving and then – like when you walk out of the stadium, you know, there's certain people that you shake hands with. And then there's a big hook that just comes and grabs you and say, all right, come on. You need to go over here and go meet such and such. You know, you know and, 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 and that's when you knew, it's like, whoa, now this is real life. And then my buddy, um, one of my good friends, Herschel Bolden, he had a bad game or something like that. And they had uh, his, his jersey and a bag over his face. Putting you sucking on that other stuff, and then a couple of cats got their car vandalized. When it, 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 I mean, it's it's unreal ex- expectation in some schools. That's one of them. That's they got one his car vandalized. Oh yeah, man. Oh man, oh, got yeah, his car play down there, spray tussle. painted. A uh, couple of bricks through it. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, it's oh, it's real. bad business. When 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 you're at when you're at a powerhouse and you, and you know it, when, when when things aren't going good. Well, they let you know. Like in some towns, that's all that they have. It's Guys are going to hear this. Guys are going to hear this and think, "Man, I guess those DMs aren't too bad." Come outside with a brick in your Nah, <laughs> I, 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 I wish I had social media back then. They coming right in front of your face, letting you know, "Hey, you uh, suck." <laughs> that's that's serious business, man. As you see, that's 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 real talk, man. Because I remember going yeah. to my visit in Florida and just realizing, like, oh, it take the. I mean, it's serious up north. And I, it was just like a. A level, a level of gladiator is stuff down there. I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's real, real life. It's, so it's, when you're in, when you're at Alabama, was there a critical advantage that you noticed or identified while you were there? It was like, all right, this is different. I need to lean into this. Whether it was like great coaches, great talent, being just in, around a bunch of rich football people, or maybe it's just the Alabama network. Well, just being around guys like Sean Alexander and Chris Samuels and Canis Griffin. Um, helped me out tremendously just to understand the, the value of your brand and to understand that you're you're worth something. You know, if someone's going to get your time, it, your time is worth something. And that is, as much as you want to minimize your skill set, there's always someone trying to take advantage of that. So, the you know, the runners that come around, to stay to stay away from them, um, the false promises that are, are that are that, that are, are told to you, you know, steer far away from it because the, you have much more to gain in 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 in, a, at, in, in longer terms. But right now, if somebody runs up and gives you such a mountain in your hand, I mean, that's no reason to take it because they're just trying to buy you for a small gain. Gotcha, gotcha. That's definitely. Yeah. Big piece and, and I don't think thing. a lot. And I don't think. Uh, and, and one of my biggest things um, going through the process, 
of recruiting was I, I, I was taking notes and to make sure that if I ever had a cousin or my younger brother or anybody within my community that needed to go through it, that I had already had the manual for them. And after playing, I know you asked that question earlier. Did I, when, when did I know that I really wanted to get back into sports or in athletics? It was when I, we all know when that career is coming to end. And I started looking back and I was like, there's so much that so, like, so many people has poured into me. Like, how am I going to give back? And what's my legacy when I leave um, off this planet? Because we all will at some point. And I remember Mike Loxley just looking at me and telling me, like, listen, dude, you don't know how good you are, but you are good. And I want to be the first one to jump on you and offer you the scholarship. And he knew something at that point. I didn't know. Yeah. And that disbelief to this day. So when he calls and I pick up the phone, I know exactly where he's at. And him just believing in me, just off jump. I knew like, wow, there's something that I have to give back. So when when freshmen come on campus, when they were down there, I was the one that grabbed them and said, all right, listen, here are the directions. Here are the few things that you need to stay away from. Here are the places that you need to avoid. Here are things that you can you can't do. Here goes the manuscript, take it and run with it. And the, the Roman Harpers of the world, the Charlie Peppers of the world, the Mark Anderson that came through, Todd Bates, I, I set them all down. They all came to my house that before they all show up, I have a barbecue at my house and all right, listen, fellas, this is what we do. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you guys the book. And if you guys ever need a little lessons, come see me to this day. Come see me and I'll give you exactly what I know. And if it's better, it's better. If it's bad, it's bad. But I'm going to give you the information so you can take on with it. And that's where I look at recruiting in itself. I just yeah. try to educate families that really don't have the opportunity to get the education. They don't try to get taken advantage of because there are a lot of people out there, a lot of sharks in this water that understand there's blood in it, and they go after it hard. You might think they're looking out for you, but they're looking out for them, them first, you somewhere in the middle, but they're going to get theirs at last as well. Absolutely. So even being at a place like Bama, just understanding the group of people, like the culture, the team, and how that added to you and kind of what that added to your value, what you gave to other people, whether it's you getting the full and then like extending that to the other guys, like that being kind of a main part of kind of getting out of his his normal environment and just ex continue to expand and being right. driven and continue to expand himself. So what would be like a key takeaway for somebody that maybe from, you know, up north or they say the DMV that's looking the transition to a place like Alabama, a big time power five program would be the key takeaway that you would tell a high school player going into like a type of situation that you went into at Alabama. Um, I would say understand competition and, and know that competing is a part of what you do daily because I mean, I've never recruited for, for my alma mater, but I do understand what it is when you step in, when you step in those doors that there's people ahead of you. You know, and some of us can play there and some of us can't. And it's not that saying that you're not good enough at that time. It's that you're just not ready at that time for the for, the, for that opportunity. And I don't know how much that places into developing a, a two star into a five. Usually they get that thing already ready made, ready to cook and get out there. So for a young person that's going to a school such as that, just assess your, your talent at this moment. Are you ready to go play? minor league um, NFL or do you need to go somewhere to get developed to get that that one or one or one and a half years of 
speed growth, strength growth, mental growth. Make sure that you're mature enough to handle all obstacles that come to you at that point. Are you ready for that? And if you are, then hey, listen, slide on down there and listen. Best opportunity to you. Because like I said, I'm in a competitive recruiting business too. I'm not here to sell anybody else except myself. But if you want to go, I can't take all of them. I just want to take the ones that's the best for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Transitioning into that, like you were just formerly the recruiting director, uh, player personnel down at Vanderbilt, now general manager of, of recruiting and player personnel at Maryland, uh, running the show. Let's jump into that a little bit at that level, you know, just kind of transitioning out of the game. What's the main trait that catches your attention when you're recruiting players? Jake, I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm a height, weight, and speed guy. You know, you because there, there's so many good players in high school, and I don't think everybody wants to say it. There are very good players in high school, but every good high school player, that don't mean you're gonna be a good college player, right? And every good college player, that don't mean you're gonna be a very good pro. So for me, it's just traits, athletic traits, height, weight, and speed, and movement skills. For me, are the best because the other thing, those are traits that you can develop. Right? The word that really gets me sometimes is everyone says, oh, yeah, we're a developmental school. But you're taking a 5'10 offensive lineman that's 290 pounds. You say, oh, yeah, I'm going to make him as good as the one that was at the one-off that's at school down the road. So tell me, what are you going to develop with that player? He's already a good player. Right. So when he plays against a 6'5", 330-pound player, that's not as good as he is because he's a little bit behind developmentally, but the athletic traits are there. Then he gets coached up properly and he gets to know how to use his hands, his, his hands, his feet, his balance, his, his full power, and he takes you and throws you out of the club. Now you tell me what you're going to tell that young man. What else are you going to develop? He's already strong as he possibly can be. He ain't growing anymore. He can get wider, but he ain't going vertical and his arms are short. So how is he going to get off that block? So for me, I look for, for traits that are Arm length, height, weight, speed, size, and just overall movement skills. Because I know those are the skills that you can take now and say, hey, Coach A, train this up into whatever you want to be. So for me, it's that clay that you can go ahead and sculpt into the way that you want it to be. 100%. So size and speed standards, measurables, guy. And that's like, I mean, guys are hearing this. This is important to understand just kind of where your fit is. And like with that being said, just – the next question was how important are size and speed standards, but he answered that. That's kind of how he bases his things on going to the evaluation process. But let's go internally a little bit. Sometimes with coaches, you know, like kind of to your point, they have a developmental mindset, right? I see a player, I can fix this X, Y, and Z. Sometimes as, per as personnel people and you've been a coach in different things, you understand that there's certain things that you can't coach and there's certain things you can't teach. Can you talk to me a little bit? about how you articulate that thing where it's like maybe someone who just doesn't fit the size speed standards, but the coach feel like they can fix different deficiencies in the player. How do you Man. get your point across? So, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's young like the age guys old, out there too. <clears throat> topic of conversation. Bless you, that's an age old topic of conversation <laughs> is what can a coach actually fix? Now, how much, and my question is always how much time do you have with that particular talent? To fix school. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, you can always work on catching the ball. You can always work on tackling. You can you can develop your speed somewhat into, you know, get, get certain parts of your body stronger. But instincts, to me, 
is something that it's either you have it or you don't. Because there are a lot of height, weight, and speed guys that, you know, sweet list example, defensive end. We all know we've seen some guys, it's like, my God, this that's the one that you want. But they still can't see a bootleg a mile away. You know what I mean? There's there's still linebackers that looks physically apart, but they can't see a pull to fit that gap to save their lives. So they always they're the one that's always getting sucked up on a play action. So to me, the one that that, that that you can't really touch on is your instincts. See if you have it or you yes. don't. Other parts of the game you can you can fine tune and and improve, but for those parts, I don't think you can you, you can actually fix the person's instincts. Yeah, those FBIs are critical, man. Just that anticipation, certain things that you just kind of feel. That's something yeah, you, you know. You, you get like it's just like a quarterback. Some 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 guys can throw through a brick wall, and there's some guys that can't really throw that hard, but they can anticipate. They can put that touch on the ball. And they can place it to where if your inside is a DB and they get it outside, they're putting it outside. And you can't do anything about it except just tackle and be like, all right, you know what? You got me. So. So what combination of pixels or details do you feel comfortable offering a player, right? Like, all right, GPA is good. Speed is good. Size is good. Background, fill, boom, psh, offer. Or is it just kind of like psh, elite trait, offer? Kind of give me through your, take me through a little bit of your process. So to me, I... I'm a, I'm a person that that when I recruit you and I and I say that I'm gonna offer you, I'm I'm going to the whole aspect of when I say offer that means I want you, because what's happening is a lot of the offers are getting watered down, and then you have young people believing that they can accept those offers and they really can't. So to me, I go through the whole evaluation process of I get the background information, the character your academics, your athletics all lined up before I jump in the boat and say, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to offer this kid because it, as, as a parent, and I got three of my own, it's, it would suck. And I put myself back in the same situation of, you know, me thinking that at a young 16, 17 year old age, that when someone offered me a scholarship, I couldn't, I couldn't commit to it. So why are you wasting my time? So I'm not into the, the offer so I can get into the game aspect. I'm in the offer so I can stay in the game. Right. And and when I when I say that I want you to be a part of University of Maryland is I want you. I'm not just saying it because it sounds good or I, I want to compete against that other school. No, I believe when I give you that offer, you're going to come in. You're going to make us a better football team. And you're going to when I leave and when we leave each other, you're going to become a better human being, regardless of where you go. If you're going to go do a chest bump and a high five at Roger Goodell or you're going to go out there in corporate America and be a be financially secure for the rest of your life and be a good husband and a good father. That's my dream. The other parts of it, that's on you. What I can give you is the best part of, 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 of you becoming a better young man. So I go through the whole, I, I do my whole background check. That, and that's just the NFL in me. When you put a grade on somebody, that, that's your grade. And you can, I mean, we can always divvy and, and, and change it. But if, if the grade is sound, it's sound. Don't right. don't don't cop out of it and be half in and half out and lukewarm. You know how that is in a good book. You get spat out. That's true. How important is a camp performance to a kid's chances playing at a power five school? We talk about going through the process and you have your information. How important Ultra is it for you to see these guys man. in camp? I think it's I think it's super important. And and a lot of a lot of coaches are gonna say that they like camp the camp is they like it and it's okay. I don't like camp. I love it. 
because it, and when camp goes around, when camp season come around, I put on my military hat that I got from my guys down in the Citadel, and I go into full, like blown recruiting mode. And you, you I mean, you've seen it. You, you always on that track. Back in in in, in, in nineteen, he was like, I, I, I at some point he's like, nah, he can't like just coming out here. But I really <laughs> love the live evaluation aspect of getting to know somebody, putting my arms around them, having that one on one conversation to figure out what makes this person tick. Because I I'm into the people like the people business. A lot of people aren't there into the people liking business. I'm into the people loving business. Right. And I guess that's why the sun started shining on me right then when I said that. But it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> I it, love man. It. I love 100%. it. I, I love, I love the live evaluation, camp, compete, and just let me see what you are on that given day, because you can't really take away who a person, who that person is at one time that you meet them and what you get out of them, because that's the closest that you're getting to game day right. with that person. I want to see you fail. I want to see you have success. And I want to see how you bounce back from all of those. And that's probably the best recruiting tool and the best evaluation tool that you can personally have is that live evaluation. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I'm big. No, I'm sorry that I got so passionate about that. No, that, I mean, that, I'm, that, I'm with you on that. Because sometimes you, as, you would hear sometimes you hear parents say like, oh, some money grab. They saw they pay coaches and I have to like go into arguing. I'm like understanding like this isn't an exposure camp. And we go to a university this is big business in, in terms of the college coaches, the program, everything. That's the first time you get everybody in the program gets to see this person live. You know, you live. Can't, everyone can't travel to a game. Everybody can't go to the school during contact period. Everyone gets to see them and have an impact, touch their uncle, touch their cousin that comes up and all those different things. So just being understanding how to deal with a coach that's coaching you. I think even from a player Correct. standpoint, you talk about talk about like recruiting and researching a play like researching a coach that's for coaching if you go to a place he's yelling at you you start crying like that i mean and, and, and we know that happens yourself. too we, we know that going through recruiting you're gonna get recruited but yep. when you're out there doing camp you're gonna get coached to this day doug mallory and i still talk and he was the, he was gonna coach me at the university Maryland. just because okay. that one-on-one -on -one time that we that we spent i still love him i'm like dude it just didn't work out but that was awesome. Just being there, just getting coached up, just hearing the language, getting fixed. And what can I take home from what I've learned and experienced? And then for, for parents saying this is a money grabbing situation, I would always pose this to them because, you know, the last place I was at, I also they, they I got thrown into being a camp director for like the first. <laughs> I figured out that I was going to do it 72 hours before. And it was like, can you do it? And I was like, have you done it? Like, nah, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to kill it, too. So I would say to a parent, like, if a camp costs, let's say, $70 for that one session and the young man's education is going to cost $300,000, are you telling me that you're not willing to invest $70 to get $300,000 or $200,000 of education that you don't have to come out of your pocket? To me, that's one of the best investments that I can you can ever pay. Best. Yeah, and they don't even, you know, but, but. Some of us are willing to go buy a $1,100 phone or a $400 watch that goes on your wrist. But to just put that money in and just say, hey, listen, whatever happens, happens. Go out and you say you're the best. Go out and prove it. What do you go out and prove it. And in, in, in the last place I was at, I want to say eight of the 25 that we signed were from camp. 
some pretty, it's pretty big numbers. I tell people about the summer showcase. Like forty oh, yeah. percent of the players that we did at the XFL summer showcase came from traveling around and people feeling comfortable seeing them and seeing a live eval. Like no doubt about paycheck it. on the line from somebody I just seen on Phil. <laughs> like, and like you, that's kind of the questions that come down. It's it's it. To me, you can just never get enough from just seeing someone compete right in front of your face. Can't hide it. It, 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 it was. It, I, I remember when we were doing a showcase and we looking around like, "Yo, he's really getting it. Like this means everything to him." And you know, you get a little bit of hurt. You don't see how guys bounce back. And the coaches, to me, you, you can't get anything better than that. No, that's true. I know that's it sounds crazy, and it's not. And I know everyone's gonna say it's, it's just like the NFL Combine. That's not it, because yeah. really, the, you and I both know the Combine is, is a technique in the show. There's no yeah. true. I mean, when you run, you run against yourself. It's not like you're lining up next to somebody else and run. When you're doing your two twenty-five max, it's it's you versus the weights. If you're gonna put it up twenty-five, put it up twenty-five. But it's not like another guy sitting there banging it out twenty-five, and you're looking at the last rep. And you, you know what I mean. So it, it's. It's it's not it in, in these in these combine camps that there's going on now. There's some um, com- competitive stuff in there too, but I like when you step on my campus. Let me let me get with you for the day. <laughs> That's big. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to get these. I try to get people to understand because you know you said exposure camps are popping up all over the place, and it's like get in front of the college coach at the end of the day. I mean, there's some good ones, but make sure you get in front of these guys that are offering the scholarships. What right. would you say was the most costly mistake? you see prospects making going through the process? Not committing to what you believe is the right school for you and waiting until the last minute and those scholarships basically getting moved on to somebody else. Because I don't think a lot of the prospects understand that you only have a certain amount in your hand that you can possibly, be, that, you, that you're going to give away to that position group. Let's say if you're going to sign four DBs, and you rank them out and you go from your, your top of your board all the way down to the bottom because that's what we do. We rank it out. And you say, okay, these guys are all above the line. And if we get – if four – if three of the four of these guys commit today, that's it. We're done with it. And you've had that opportunity to take one of those guys. If you don't, well, those are – we can't wait on you. You know, it's a, it's a business of, of making sure that, it's, that we get the proper players for each one of those positions. And when we do get them locked in, like, that's your opportunity. In the age of the transfer portal now, those opportunities are getting slimmer and slimmer for you. So if it's the right place and it's the right fit, say yes and move on. Because there's only, I would say, what, 10 or 15 players in a nation that can really sit around and wait and like, hey, listen, every school is going to wait for me when I get there. And that's where we have to, as older as an older group and as the mentors or whoever we want to call ourselves, we got to educate these young people that if it feels good and it's the right school for you, this is always where you wanted to go. There's no reason for you to wait to the last day and have a hat flipping competition. If that's what you want to do, you call that school up and say, hey, listen, I'm going to commit to you. But just for my brand and just so I can get some more likes and clicks, I'm going to do this. But be upfront with that, which is okay. We understand that. Like, I'm not in the, the, the dummy business. I'm in the in business of understanding and working with <laughs> young people. There's a partnership right. that you have going on right now. It's not like when True. you and I were in school, the coach said, hey, run through that wall if you don't. No, it's, it's an understanding that these young people are way more educated than we were at that time. So we, we have to do a better job of explaining it 
the whole process to him of saying, hey, dude, we only have an opportunity to give you a scholarship, but we have you four in this block. If you want to say yes, you can today, which is cool. I ain't in the business of squeezing. Right. But understand that there are four more lined up behind you that are willing to say yes. I'm just giving you this opportunity to say yes first. So to me, that's one of the biggest ones. Just listening to outside noise that's not going to be in that situation with you. Because what happens is the outside noise tells you, hey, you don't have to commit to that school. You got 50 other schools lined up. Well, how many of those 50 schools are committable offers that we talked about earlier? And if you don't know that, you just don't know it, right? But this is a school that, that fits you and you wanted to go here your entire life. It might not be the sexiest logo that you wanted, right? But go to that school and make sure that school fits you and you'll be, you'll be fine at the end of the day. There's only, there's only a certain amount of us that can sit around and wait and flip hats. Nobody was a five-star like you. You know what I mean? Sure. You could have done that. But everybody else nah, get in where you fit in. No, nah, but that's real. Like mistaking people, like their own value, I think is kind of to the point that you're fitting in, right? Where it's like you get these offers, I'm this, I'm that. And then people start thinking the game's this, but it's really that. Like, and it's, if you play, don't play yourself. What DJ Khaled say, like, mess around and play it, it, yourself. It's, so that's, it's just like in, in free agency in the NFL, right? Some guys overvalue themselves and at the end of the day they're outside on the third wave and they got to get an msb contract instead of taking that that money early and moving on with it and that's listening to outside noise again and not getting the proper information and just educating yourself is to me for for these young high school players because to me it's free agency you know 100 i mean deals getting made and, 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 and opportunities getting passed and you know I wish the I wish the parents or the ones that's in charge of these young people would actually educate them and give them a sound understanding of what real life is. And it's not that every two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollar opportunity that you get you get in your hands. I don't even think they understand it like that. That's a house. Yeah. That that that's a that's a that's an opportunity that you you rarely get back again. And I think my wife was the first one that educated me on that because I never really knew how much college costs. And I don't know if you did, but it's always good to have some regular students around when they start yeah. getting their bills. Oh, that you know was like, hey, like, she's the one that made me go back and graduate from college. She's like, you know how much I had to pay back in student loan? I'm sitting around like, you know, I'm making this much money this year in the league. I ain't going back to no school, sitting down in the class. You crazy? She's like, and then she brought the article back out on when I said I'm going to graduate because my dad and my mom and smacked me in the face with that. That's when I said, <laughs> she can't be my girlfriend no more. At some point, I'm going to have to marry this lady. <laughs> okay, yeah, giving me too much game. Too much game. That's what she understood me. Under she yeah, understood. that's understood. good. So understanding your value, guys, understanding what, these, what the roadmap and what this chessboard looks like and just don't play yourself. Understand where your fits are and go into the process looking for that perfect match and not just the hype train yeah. of having all the offers. How and, much does a family's... How much does a kid's family go into the evaluation process? I know it was big for you, but like, how do you kind of look at that nucleus around you know, the player? You know what? It, it, it goes into the process uh, a good amount just to understand that. I don't, to me, I, I know Doug Welly used to always say this was, with talent comes tolerance, right? And there, there are families that can actually wear you out, right? But if you're that talented, that group, it's okay. <laughs> but you again, you got to understand your value. 
And as a parent, you got to also understand your child's value, but you also got to understand that the child has to understand his value at some point. So at some point, you got to step away. Give him as much information as you possibly can. Say, all right, listen, you got to make one or two of these decisions on your own. Because if you really don't fail, I don't know how necessarily you learn. And as you go through the whole process, you have to learn in the recruiting process, in this NIL process, in this competitive nature of football, in college. And if you have the opportunity to go play pro, you're going to have to figure that out too. Because every decision that's going to be made, you don't want somebody else making that decision for you. You want to be informed and being educated with the information, but allow yourself to make that decision. Because that's the only way that you truly grow. I, said, I mean, I love that you said it, man. Ta- talent equals tolerance. I think that's a hard pill for people to swallow because it kind of puts it at like, this ain't fair. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's not fair based on, like, if you're not this good, it might not get treated the same, right? What, what's, yeah. the, what's the saying? What coaches say? I'll treat everybody fair, but not equal. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're equal. You're that, his fair, that, 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 that's fair. <laughs> and again, you have to know who you are as a person what your talent level is. And that goes from, from like we said from the beginning of this conversation, like, how much can you say, nope, I'm not coming to your school or hold that scholarship for me. If you are the best in that class, yeah, I'm going to hold it. Don't even move. Don't budge. But if you're the 350th, but we view you as one of our better ones because we had you on campus, we've gone through the evaluation process, your family dynamic works out perfectly for us, you're, you're a cultural fit, then we value a little bit more. But understand that at some point, yeah, you got to give us an answer. You got to give us an answer. You, like, I, we, this thing got to get filled up. Yeah. We can't do this thing at the 11th hour with the number 99, the 399th player in the nation. You only it's between us and another school. The other school says they're gone, and we said we're gone. What do you have in your hand right now? Nothing. So make your decision and just stand firm to it. And every decision is not going to be the best for somebody else. It's got to be the best for you. And you got to go in there. You have to make this thing work. That's that's incredible. And I don't think a lot of people are telling these young kids that, man. And it, it, it and it's one of the main reasons why, like I said, I wanted to get into this this business to educate families, to educate young people so they don't have to go through the the hurts and the, and the bruises of life because like I said, I, I don't know a lot of I don't know a lot of people that look like you and I, Jay, that's really out there like just educating us. And that's what I wish that I would have had earlier. Someone to sit down as a big uncle while I was on campus, someone that recruited me and just gave me knowledge of it. And the person I keep on telling people that they gave me as much knowledge of the recruiting process, Mike Lockson. As much as much as it, he didn't know that I was studying him, oh man, I, I was writing a book. Just patiently waiting for my time. Those are the critical views that you get going through as a player, right? Like we, we'll get into it this next section talking about the transition, but like going through as a player, you get, you're talking about getting recruited by some of the top coaches in the country right you say you're picking up always looking to expand you know your own personal toolbox and like you're being around these guys and helping you make that transition out of the game into these next areas right with those soft skills whether it's like 
understanding how to read people, being understanding the recruiting game, how you got recruited and being able to transition that all the way around from coaching to being in personnel to operations and creates like this dynamic thing that's very hard to replicate in the industry. You know what I'm saying? That's what guys got to <laughs> kind of understand where it's like, got to create monsters that you don't really know if you start paying attention as you're going through. We're going to take a quick right. break. We're going to do a quick read for uh, LIG Sports Group. One second. So this episode to you of Blue Chip Academy Blueprints of Success is brought to you by LIG Sports Group. It's a football operations strategy consulting group. And this one is for the Blue Chip Academy's Blueprints of Success recruiting NIL and player development support. The college landscape has vastly shifted with the transfer portal, NIL rules, and other changing dynamics. But with proper, without proper guidance, many athletes fail to maximize their full potential. So LIG's Blue Chip Academy provides recruiting, NIL, player development, advising for families and athletes so they can make the best decisions at the critical points in their career, setting themselves up for, for success both on and off the field. The service brief, LIG will provide personal Football operation, player development, and recruiting advisory services. This will include recruiting player recruiting, player development support, and dual lane branding. Um, that is a service for high school parents and players that are going through the process. You can reach out at www.ligsports.com and make an appointment and check out how you can get your blueprint to success so you can master this football ecosystem. So let's jump back into it. All right, back into it, man. So getting into the critical insights and specific knowledge during your transition. How was the transition from the game for you? Like most of us, man, it was difficult because you're just trying to you're trying to figure out like what's your next move. And when you're in a business of, of competing, you think that, hey, listen, if I line up against this person, I'm better than that person, then obviously I'm gonna win. But when you start getting into the corporate side of it the the side that it's not really competition it's really who really wants to work with you at that point it's not how good you are at your job and i don't think anybody gonna say it's not how good you are at your job it's really how comfortable that you that you make certain decision makers feel in this business because case in point going back to the nfl there are so many good talent evaluators that aren't getting opportunities that look like you and I, just because we don't fit the look. We don't have the same sound. When we were playing, a lot of the, the, the guys that's ahead of us now in it were doing the background work. They were doing all the, 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 the small tasks that meant a lot to a person that needed that boost you know, for them. And when they got the opportunity, they hired them, which I don't knock. But that was one of my difficulties, just just seeing it and just saying it's not how good you are. It's really who favors you <laughs> in, in a lot of it. And it's in it. For, and, and I know that it's the age. It's, just, it's like the ongoing conversation. You and I jump on the phone. I remember last time I probably spoke to you like four or five hours just Riding from Nashville to, to Buffalo at that point, just talking about basically this interview, but it wasn't an interview. <laughs> and and, it, and it's just to the point that I look at it and say, okay, now Mike Loxley being a black head coach, given an opportunity to a black general manager, our AD is a black man, our president's a black man in close to the Washington, D.C. area, which you know it. That's black pride, black love. And I, I, I say to each parent that that want to 
see change and want an opportunity, want a cultural change, this is it. Because most of the time, we don't get opportunities such as this. We're usually playing the background and somebody else is getting the credit for whatever you do in terms of wins and losses. And to me, it sucks. At some point, we have to make some cultural change. And I, that's where I, I, I go out there when I talk to a parent. I say, hey, listen, you know, my wife's white. So I don't knock that. And it's not to me, it's not a black or white thing. It's the right thing. And in terms of being able to get put on equal, then we have to give ourselves these opportunities to do it. And that's where when I got into it, I saw that side of it. Because, you know, white player, black player, it don't matter. If you can make more touchdowns to stop more touchdowns to score more points, you're I, think, I think you're hitting on a very like a very big point that like players should even just listen to going through because as you're going through the ecosystem as a player, you're kind of hardwired to merit base, merit base. I gotta beat this person out, I gotta beat this person out. And some of the soft things didn't really matter. We talked about talent equals tolerance. Like as a player, all the little things, if I know I'm balling on Saturday, like it's competition, wins and losses matter, right? And like that is the hardest shift that I think people have to recognize when there's like certain critical points or critical obstacles for players that they need to kind of hop over to kind of like use all those critical instincts to kind of, you know, raise themselves up in the eyes of kind of what you're saying, the decision makers or people that are given those first transition jobs. And I know for me in particular, like that was something that was hard because like, I mean, you were a smart football player. I was looking through the business where I'm like, I know this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and then you kind of to your point, you're like, oh, wait, y'all been, I've been going through this on merit based thing, like competition that has to kind of shift. It's like, all right, where's the value at? Like, right. <laughs> what can right. I, where, yeah, seriously, like where can it be? And what can I, how can I continue to sharpen? We talked about in the operation stuff earlier, like right. not many people that can do all these things. Like people get pigeonholed in this important part or this, but like we can do all this. It's like, and, 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 like, and like you told me, you said, and, and even uh, Doug Whale is one of, one of the biggest components for me. And yep. when I took the job and I left Buffalo, uh, his thing was, hey, listen, man, once you gain this aspect of football operations, they can't tell you anything. They can't say you 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 can't do this job because you can tell them, yep, I've done that. I've been, I've done the, the personnel evaluation side of it. I know how the operations work. You've coached, you've played. What what what? How can they deny you? And if they don't, it's because look in the mirror and see how you look. And and, and, and and it's flat. I know no one wants to hear it, but that's just flat out true. Is what it and is. You, and you see every cycle in college. You see every cycle in the NFL. That's just, it, it, it sucks, but we we have to give ourselves the opportunity to do it. 100%. I understand it. And, and like I said, and, and, and I, I, I offer opportunities for any young intern, male, female, black, white, whatever color that you are, creed. I, it doesn't matter with me. I, I want to give you an opportunity just because somebody else gave me an opportunity, too. To do it, and I think that's one of the beauties of the cultural diversity of this this area that I'm in, that 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 I currently live in now, and also at the campus of the University of Maryland, one of the most culturally diverse right. places I've ever been. Yeah, <laughs> you walk around, you see all tight. But to me, it's nothing new because this is the area I was raised in. Right. Growing up, I lived in Montgomery County, so that my high school was predominantly like seventy white, thirty black. Yeah, yeah, in middle in my elementary school, I was probably two, 
black kids in my elementary class. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, listen, yeah. my, my whole my whole thing is kind of just shook up, yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, like I said, English is my second language. So I didn't understand any slang at eight years old when I came up to the United States. So majority of my it's just proper, straight, and people are like, oh yeah, you're not hood enough. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what the hood is. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so man, that's real. Just, just, just growing up here is like it, it. It was easy for me to to, to jump in society. Yeah. So what were your but first it, transition it, it, jobs? As I looked around, I just started like seeing like, man, this thing ain't right. Here, here's a crazy story, Jay. I got here in 88, 1988, June. I didn't know anything about the N-word. Um, didn't really know about racism. Didn't know about the, the difference in, in culture between black and white. So majority of my friends were white because... They spoke to me. I spoke to them. And like, I never got called in were until a, like a person that looked like me called. They're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, looking around like, yo. So I went home and asked my sister, um, D. I was like, D, you know, I said, they keep calling me this, but I don't even know. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I was just so like, just green to the whole fact of, of, of this world. And, and my parents always just tell me, like, just choose your friends wisely. And never told me what else to choose from. They just say, good person, you know how to judge. Go with them. And just rock with them. So that was my whole premise of growing up. But as I got older and I just saw it, seeing how the world was so different. Like once I got to high school, then you just started seeing my friends that I had in elementary school, middle school, just started going in one direction. And like I'm stuck in the middle. I'm like, yo, how come y'all don't hang out with them over there? Because I'm, I, it don't matter. I'm, I'm cool with both so sides. Jamaica, whatever. I'm like, yeah. If, if you lived on this side of the street, I used to come over to your house and, and rock with you. If you live on that side of the block, I used to come over there and rock with you. I'm just trying to make sure that we can all just hang out. And right. that and, and, and that's a difficulty. Like when, like you just said, when I, when I got out of plan, it was really like, wow, this thing's not even equal. You walk into a, a, a the, my first coach meeting, I'm sitting around like, yo, it's one, two, oh. And then job opportunities come up, and then you hear we have to hire the minority. And I'm sitting here like, why don't you just hire the best person? And <laughs> it's never the same. But if you don't have a minority spot, we don't have that opportunity. Flat 100%. Out. That's just, you a, have that's to just create a fact. And you have to create that position and say, here you go. That's a fact, man. Like, yeah. what were your first transition jobs? Like, did you, how, like, and how did you get into those roles? So my so my first transition job after was was coaching at a high school Coral Park High School in uh, in Miami. Okay, uh, Tavares Robinson's high school, and that's ah. where T. Rob, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where T. Rob and I like we we knew each other. He went to the other school down in in, in, the, in the state. I went to the right school in the state, and we knew each other then playing against each other in college. But once we both got out of it, and I saw him in high school. But here's a crazy story. So. At that point, I um, I had finished playing. I was just finished playing in Canada and played well enough that I thought I was going to get called back up to the NFL. So that time, my girlfriend, which is my wife now, Stacey, was living down in Miami. So I was down there for the summer, and I was running around the track, getting in shape. And at the high school, and, and, uh, and the head coach came over. He said, I know you from somewhere. And I'm like, come on, this dude here. Name is Chris Pagodas. <laughs> Not been knowing of me, Chris Pagodas is a University of Alabama grad. 
was down there Killian High. He was down at Coral Park. He's legendary coach at Killian High School. And he's like, hey, you know what? I see you out here every day. I know you can play. Can you just help me out with these, these DBs? I was, like, I was like, I don't got nothing else. And he's like, you know what? I'll throw in a little, you can be a substitute teacher, come in here and help me handle the kids during the day because if you're a presence here, you'll be all right. Yeah. You're here during the daytime. They see you after in practice. You can make a bigger impact on them. We're in a very good football team. But just being around those young people and just teaching them and just seeing the growth from day one to day two to three, dude, I figured out, I was like, yo, I love teaching. I called my sister D up. I was like, D, you won't even believe this. All this stuff I talk about not having kids, just when I got finished playing, I'm just going to go on my trucking business or something. I said, I was going to go into something else. I said, yo, I found my passion. And that's teaching it. and being around young people. The teaching and part? She, and she's like, It was specifically huh? teaching? Was it specifically teaching or was it the co- like the coaching? Like, Did you find that it, on the field or in the room, the classroom? Both. I just, I, till this day, I love teaching. Gotcha. If it's teaching how to cook, if it's, if it's a, if it's a growth process through the recruiting, um, piece of it, love it. But I just love teaching. And I did not know that that was going to be my true calling. Cause even, even the role that I'm in now, I get the most joy out of seeing a young person come in wanting to learn how to evaluate and just learn the business and just day-to-day interaction with that person and just seeing that person grow, you're like, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm like leaving my mark. Forget getting a five-star or whatever. It's more for me to seeing that growth on a daily basis that I truly get a joy out of. And that's when I, I – and so long story short, my first job was coaching um, secondary at Coral Park High School. Oh, that's crazy. And you said it what was it? It was a – College connection, or he just happened to be from Alabama? I was just outside running around. It was nothing. Just happened to be it was just me yeah. being me and just this, this being at the right place at the right time. A lot of uh-huh. this is, is to me a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I've gone through in life. There is there's not a book that says this is how you're supposed to do it. Because everyone typically, you know, when you go on an interview, they say, "Oh, yeah, what's your goal?" And I'm like, "I don't really have a goal. I have a journey that I've been on that I truly enjoy." And whatever this journey sets me off to, that's what I'm going to be really, really good at. And that's what I really want to care about. But so goals, once you hit goals, you're like, all right, so what's next? Right. And then you hit this one, they're like, all right, what's next? So I just go through journeys of success and just try to improve myself daily. And the people that I come in, in, in contact with, I just want them to know that their life is important. My life is important. As long as we can work together, we're going to be better together. That's amazing, man. I know it sounds exactly corny, but that's just no. Me. It's not corny because that's what this whole this whole blueprint to success is about. Is like giving these different unique blueprints that everybody's kind of gone through, and like people don't really know, right? Like to the point that you're saying, a lot of times people that have these positions are kind of behind the scenes, and if you do know them, you don't really know how they got there or what that step looked like from a player to there. You just kind of see people popping up, and you're like, everyone's kind of in the football thing, kind of focused on their aspect, and you kind of look up for these next guys coming up. To the point that you're saying where it's teaching, where it's like best way it's teaching is like kind of what you said, learning at, around you at Alabama, looking at the other people. And like if we can kind of show these guys these different unique blueprints that people went different paths or the curveballs that they had to face and kind of get themselves ready for their blueprint. So when they're going through this process, you know, it took us maybe 15 steps, takes right. them seven, next group takes three. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that's huge. That's crazy. And, and not even and not even knowing in, in my college DB coach, Coach Thurman, my second college okay. DB coach, Coach Thurman, 
was the one that got me involved into collegiate um, coaching. Okay. And and I didn't know what I was doing in college, but they're, they're How did that, I'm the sorry pressure. to interrupt. How did that happen? So you're at the high school, and so like a college coach just is like, yo, we got so, a spot so, for you? Right. So I was at the high school coaching, finished up the season. So I'm in, in the summertime training and uh, training these guys in the offseason, in the weight room and all that other stuff. And Coach Thurman, we talk, we, we still to this day, we talk at least two or three times a week. And he calls like, hey, listen, there's opportunity at the Citadel as a restricted earnings coach. He's like the coach. And I was like, I was like, honestly, I said, I'm, I'm good down here. <laughs> I said, I'm having, I'm not having a ball. I said, I'm coaching these young guys up. I'm good. And he's like, ah, he's like, nah, I've talked to you too many times. You figured out how to do that already. You're just comfortable. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, listen, just call Bob Fellow and Kevin Higgins up. Kevin Higgins was a quarterback coach in Detroit when I was up there. And he said, "Um, just just talk to him. Just converse with him and just see where it's at. If you like it, you know, just give it an opportunity to see where where you're going to go with it. Never coached college, ever. Nothing. Didn't know how to get on the board, no playbooks, no nothing. So I go home and I talk to uh, my girlfriend at that time, which is Stacia, my wife now, and just – and we're sitting there and they're talking, and she looked and said, you want to do this, don't you? I said, how do you know? She said, it's a challenge. I know how you are. <laughs> it's something new. And I, she was like, I just saw you coaching, and that's just what you that, – that's your passion. It's not a job for you. You love doing it. And I jumped in my car, and I drove up to Charleston, South Carolina, and started that day. And, that was it. You know, got to it. And the only thing that I told him, I said, I don't want to coach a secondary. I, ne- I didn't coach a secondary until my third year into coaching. So I, I said, I said, I want to, I said, I want to become a defensive coordinator. So Coach Thurman and I always talked about, if you know, the front end, you go, you already understand the back end. Because I used to do game planning and stuff back in college. Not knowing what I was doing, but I was so interested in the process. Like, why do you want me to play cover two here? Why do you want me to play seven um, yards off? Why do you want me to be lined up inside? So I was gaining information and knowledge, not knowing, but that's just my personality. So I used to go in there and sit and sit sit down and listen to some game plan and throw my little piece off in there. But getting back to the Charleston, I said, you know what? I want to coach linebackers. So got in with the defensive coordinator, learned how to coach linebackers. Got the language, got to talk, develop my own playbook, develop my own um, teaching. I mean, my own fundamental book, my own just this this. Just my old way of just speaking the language of linebackers. You know what I mean? Because everybody always has this manual. So I just, I kept grabbing everybody's manual and looking through everybody's manual and making up my own, not knowing what I was doing, but just just figuring out the language that I wanted to use in terms of teaching and communicating to the players. Straight so up. then Coach Higgins, we go into a, a staff meeting and we have like jobs that he gives out on the staff, like liaisons or whatever. So he's like, the locker room's a mess. I'm the young guy on the staff. He's like, I right, got to get somebody to be a locker room coach. But I was like, ah, I'll do it. So he gives me a locker room. So me and me, I start, I dive in, come up with a, with a manual for the locker room, having having locker room, like having a role leader, a little captain, and, and just going out and just figuring a way how we can clean this locker room up. Penalty system, a, a, a way of, of, a way of earning trust and rewards through just, just developing young people. And Jim Monas, 
the guy that hired me in Buffalo okay, was living yeah, yeah. with Sean, our secondary coach at that time. And he remembers seeing like our, our, our manual with all the, the description of jobs for each person. And mine was outside linebacker coach and locker room um, liaison, locker room coach. <laughs> and, he, and he came and like the first time I met him, it's like, hey, man, I see you. Not only do you coach, but you also <laughs> the locker room. <laughs> the locker room. I'm keeping it clean. <laughs> so him not like that's our first time we met him not knowing me. So he's like, I heard you got a manual, too. So I bring out my manual. It's like, here you go. Here you go, my manual from all the way through from the first time you stepped in the locker room. Where you put your pads, your helmet, how you clean it up, how your row's supposed to look, all the way through, just detailed up. And he's like, he's like, but why would you do that? I was like, why wouldn't you? I said, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it right. right. You know what I mean? And and and, and that was just always my thing. So spin forward the conversation, like four years later, you know, he gets a job at the, the Buffalo Bills as director of um, player uh, personnel, and he calls me up like, hey, listen. Um, I know you've never scouted before, but I got this opportunity. I created a job for you. And I was like, Jim, I said, I don't know nothing about this. He's like, hey, listen, man, I seen you develop a daggone manual for cleaning up the locker room. I'm certainly you will figure this thing out. <laughs> that's huge because you said that, at the beginning of the interview, though, like just nothing to rub, but you said at the beginning of the interview of like making sure that you do everything that you do within the football ecosystem to the best of your ability. And like you're showing that that's kind of what you did. Like if I'm the locker room coach, I put a manual together for the locker room. And now I got an opportunity room. to go to the NFL. <laughs> like, right. And, 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 and again, like I wasn't thinking, hey, man, uh, this guy's going to come in here and see it. Like, it was like a funny thing. He was making fun of me. But he was he was taking notes though. He was making fun right. of you, but he wasn't and, making and, fun and, of you. And again, that comes to my dad. That's like I, the guy works so crazy. Like if you give him a job, he's gonna perfect it. How That's he does right. it, I don't know. The guy don't even know how to read, but I don't know how. He, like he just perfects everything. And I just saw that growing up. Said, hey, listen, there's no way that I'm gonna let this guy outdo me. First of all, he gave me his name. <laughs> I got to uphold to it. I messed around and gave my son his name, so he got to uphold to that too. So right, right, right. This is the journey of success that we try to get on, man. No, that's that's perfect. So, like you said it earlier, like when you transition into college, now that's really, it's. I'm not gonna say it's not mirror based. You have to still be a good coach, but it's still into that aspect of being available. I can't. I don't like to say likable, but you have to have a level of connections and being able to do the job. There's certain boxes that you have to check. Right. I would say the Citadel is that first time, right? Where a lot of players that I've seen that I see sometimes kind of get fumbled up is when they make the transition, they don't show a level of humility to kind of make themselves malleable to learn. Like when you were saying, like, ah, I don't know about this. Like sometimes players are like, I'm a player, I played at Alabama, I did this. I can yeah, I know who's good and who's not. You know what I mean? So you had a level of awareness to kind of make that transition and to like kind of put your instincts back in. I guess right. what I'm trying to figure out what was that moment for you though you felt comfortable to reverting completely back to your athletic instincts, right? Like where you're just like, Psh, I'm competing, I'm going, da da da, and not really thinking about, all right, am I stepping wrong here? Like kind of navigating the soft things in the industry. Well, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer on making mistakes. Okay. And once you do make that mistake, just ask how can you get corrected, and you know. Again, just being Jamaican again, it's you can make that mistake once, but don't make this a habit. So it's it's becoming a quick learner because if you're a foreigner, like you don't get many opportunities to do a lot of things. 
So it's figuring it out once, learning from that, and adapting to your circumstances, your surroundings. So a lot of it, it's not faking it until you make it, but it's understanding your circumstances and your environment and becoming a part of that environment, but also improving while you're in that environment. So to me, that comes second nature. Just like I just said, just being a, an immigrant, like you're not really from a place where you're going into. But once you get right. in there, you have to make sure that you are part of that unit and you don't stick out so much as a sore thumb that everyone dislikes you. So you have to be a part of that unit. And that's where that team, that teamwork comes in and being a part of a team come, becomes a critical factor. And just not being afraid of of learning and just sell, telling someone like, Justin, I don't know. Like like earlier, I was like, hey, listen, I thought you were going to send me a Zoom, but you sent me this thing. You said, all right, well, this is what you do. Just download it, sign on to it. And I mean, like when you say it, it just starts, it, I just start thinking, how can I do this, that? How can I improve it? And that's just the way that, that I work. And it's it overall, it's just my personality. No, that's huge. I mean, that's huge. And that's very critical, man, because like, I think that's kind of shown where you kind of make those those jumps in your career. So now currently as the general manager at Maryland, let's kind of get into a little bit, given game, spit last section. But what would be the ideal personality or type of player that you would think that would lend well following your post-career plans? Kind of you know, well, coaching and all this to stuff. me, the, the ideal person, the ideal player for us is a person that's there and they're willing to get developed and willing to improve no matter how good you are coming in. Because you and I both know there's a lot of five stars that come in and they think that they're five stars and there's no level of improvement. There's no level of being humble to working at your craft. So regardless of how good you are when you get here, just get ready to work and get developed and fit in culturally to make sure that this place is better than when you came here, you're leaving in a better situation. That's it right there, man. Like Coach Locks always talks about just having a cultural fit. Like we're going to get great players here just because we have really good coaches and we got one of the best closers in the world. Um, and we have a very good talent evaluating um, process, but it's just getting that cultural fit to that player that we know wants to be here, live and die here, and understand that he's a Maryland Terp for life and embodies gotcha. that, that energy every single day. Because we, we as um, the, the, the adults and the, person, and the professionals in the building believe that we sell the, um, our program the best, but we don't. It's our players that truly sell our program. So if you have a player with the right energy, right substance, and the message that we're selling every single day and they're just everyday interaction with us, they're going to do a better job of selling us when those young people come on campus than we are. Because they're going to ask, hey, man, how is Smoke? Is he as genuine as he is when he's on the phone? Right. And if that young man said, nah, you know, when I got here, you kept a buck with me when I was on the phone with him, but now... I don't even know. He only talked to me. Or should he? Or is he going to say, hey, listen, regardless, he's the same dude when you met him. He's the same dude today. Here. He's going to make sure that you're a solid human being when you leave. Let me take it a step further. So like a player that's maybe at Maryland or, yeah, like at Maryland now, and they're looking like, man, like, you know, representation is everything. You talk about Whaley being somebody who's somebody for me is like kind of looking, growing up in Pittsburgh, is a, you know, in the front office, like, oh, what do they do? How, what would you say about a player that's in college right now and might see you? 
like how to follow your post career plan if they wanted to become a general manager in college like what's the personality type how do they need to operate in the building like what would that profile of a player be that kind of would follow your executive path to me like you've always said and we both know this being humble humbleness is the key to in this business and always being willing to learn because as much as, as, as each person thinks that they are the best at it, there's somebody else out there that's better than you are. But the only way that you get better than that person is actually learn and put yourself in a position of being vulnerable and learning from that person. Because, I mean, know-it-alls usually get left behind, right? You know, you come in and say, oh, I know how to do this, that, that. Yeah, you probably, yeah, you do, but evolution is going to catch up to you at a certain point. And if you can't evolve and learn from this situation that you were in, then how good are you going to be? Like the recruiting game has totally changed from when you and I were getting recruited. You know, we like we said it earlier, like we're letters. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. that ain't it anymore. I think you, you mentioned like a player's special powers, right? It's like a level of being vulnerable and a level of humility because no matter what day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, practice, it's one of the few things where players are shown their mistakes immediately. Like real life people, like people that work in corporate America, they're not, they miss a quote or something. You don't really go back or like, exactly, oh, you missed this office. This is what you said wrong. Like in football, like your humility is kind of, if you ain't balling, like you're going to know that you're doing something wrong every day after practice. And I kind of tell guys that's a, that's a critical But, but even when you're balling, there's still a level of... There's still of, things to get there. But I guess what I'm saying is like the point of the vulnerability of taking that criticism or taking that that feedback, because like a lot of people that don't play sports at a high level can't really take that feedback and kind of block yeah. those things where you can get better. And I'll tell athletes like, you can really make your gains if you just act like you don't know everything. And then once you get it, you know what you know, and then kind of combine perfect it, it and perfect and it and off. go, man, because... But, That's the hardest but, part is when, when you don't got to, you kind of don't get that credit for what you do know. And then you're kind of fighting ghosts and kind of guys get lost in that battle right. of fighting ghosts. Cause you like, you put 20, you put 20 something years in to get to this, to where you're at now. It's right. Like, right. I don't know but, anything. But, but, but the crazy thing is, as I'm looking at it more and more and I'm sitting out talking to young people, there are not a lot of young people that are willing to be vulnerable because the image of, I have this many likes. I have this many followers. I'm an influencer. That's not making you humble. You know what I mean? And the second that they get here on your campus and they go through that baptism, like we all have gone through. Right. And you're going to go through that. If you're, if you're saying you're going to play at a high level, yeah, there's, a, there's a first rounder that you're going to have to play against as a true freshman and sophomore. That's going to give you the business. Now, I'm how you hold up the second time is probably going to be better or how you fight back within that matchup. But if you don't have that level of humbleness, I don't know how good you're really going to get. I mean, look at look at the game. Like To me, we can go back, go back and forth and, and argue who's the greatest basketball player ever. I'm going to say LeBron. You might say Mike. You might say anybody that anybody else wants to say. But right. each one of those athletes had a moment that they weren't the best or they weren't successful. LeBron going back and losing to Dallas, that he had to figure something out. Mike getting his face kicked in by Detroit, Boston, all those years. Like he figured something out, but he had to have gone through that learning process that a lot of us young people, like 
they're not going through that. So they're missing a part of that growth aspect of saying, you got to fall at least 5,000 times and get up over and over and over again to become what you want to be. Because it's not a lot of us just jump straight off the bus and is LeBron. And LeBron to me is like the only player that's ever lived up to his real potential and surpassed that. But he even had failures and has become a better person and a better player today. So if you can't go through that and your coach really getting on you for your, your critical mistakes, like, where do you see yourself? Because you, none of us are perfect. There's not a perfect player right. in the world. So. That's, so, that's so true, man. Just like the aspect of like social media and letting these guys be a little bit more vulnerable. Even when you think about, I mean, I won't call people up, but just like even in meeting rooms, right? Like I think meeting rooms are different than when we came up, how coaches would tear you up. And now it's like you got to check how you say somebody might be recording you like because like you said there's like there's not a level of vulnerability or humility just going into the space because like you're getting validated in different places that's a very interesting thing because i I mean when i started playing golf i was like all right i can get good at golf because i went to golf tech and like after every bad swing i'm like seeing instant feedback instant feedback and if i don't get instant feedback i'm kind of messed up like i need to know like am i am i hitting the mark am i getting better because if not I might, I got like an anxious breakdown. Like, <laughs> like what's going on? And see the issue is like the way that you're built and the way that you've made yourself is a lot of successful people built that way. And the second that you go into a situation and you're talking to someone and you're constantly evaluating them, that's not into our world. They feel like you're judging them. Oh man. And they're like, <laughs> Stop judging me. He was like, so my thing is like, both of us married. So like, I got to stop that with my wife. My 100%. kids, I, I cannot move on. It's like, hey, listen, I, I don't need that. I don't need to be constantly criticized. But I'm like, it's not, I'm not criticizing. I'm just critiquing. Like, I don't need that. I'm just trying but to. But that's how we're wired. Yeah, it's just like looking for that five, ten percent. All right, can we can, we can expand? Okay, <laughs> this is what's not wrong. I'll make it more efficient. And I, you're right. You gotta check it. You gotta definitely check it. I, I, check, hey, listen, I, I, I check all that at the door when I walk. Like, I need a thirty minute ride before I get home, and I decompress <laughs> and I check all that. And when I go in the door, I am husband and dad, and oh, that's man. it. That's it. I mean, I need. I know. I need to. I, I'm getting better at it, but that's definitely. I was like, man, that's just how it is. You know what I mean, but dog. So the XFL we talked about throughout this interview, but it was like a peek around the corner when we talk about college football guys, name, image, likeness, all a lot of cool things. How do you view the current college landscape, and where do you see like these new spring leagues fitting into it? Well, I think the, the spring leagues need it, but I don't think any of them is going to work until you have the recommendation or just the, the backing of the NFL. Because we, we all still understand, for most of us, that is the pinnacle of, of football, right? So even though there's spring leads pop, popping up, the, you, some, at some point you still got to generate some revenue. And these players need a, a, a nugget at the end of the day and saying, what, what are they working towards? And I believe whatever league finds a way how to have some type of partnership, and I know we talked about this, some type of partnership in allocating players, either in using the whatever league as a testing, like where, where you're going out there, where the NFL Europe was at one point where you said, okay, I got 10 players, I can allocate them to this league. I think that's a league that's going to be the most successful. You and think the XFL believe, made that step? 
XFL right. made that step when they, they did the little relationship with the NFL to test the rules. You know how test we were the doing the rules, like a lot of the rules yeah. that we were kind of. I, I, I think that, that that's just the beginning that's of the, the partnership. And, and as you grow more throughout the years, you're going to say, okay, good. What else can we use this league for? Maybe we need to use it for our fourth or third quarterback, our 10th, 11th, and 12th, 13th offensive lineman. And we fill this league out with that. And it gives the, and it gives the players an opportunity to get better because you and I both know we played at that level. Majority of the players can play. It's just certain of us needed that developmental growth. And if that's 10 games while everybody else is not playing, because OTAs in minicamp really is a talent evaluated. I didn't get nothing out of it as a player. It was okay, but you're only limited reps. If you're not with a one or a twos, like you're not getting the majority of the reps. Right. And a lot of us need like actually game reps. And a lot of players are coming out of college not ready for the for the NFL. That I mean your fifth and seventh, six, seven rounders are basically going on practice squad. Why not put those players in a league, in a spring league? Have them play because their body's not beat up from the year because they didn't play. Give them a 10-game opportunity to play. Use them like the NFL, I mean, the old NFL Europe used to just saying, you guys aren't towards the counter. So you're going to get an extra 10 or 15 players in order to practice within the, the summertime. So that gets your roster back up to 105. It gets everybody else healthier. Your guys that you know that's going to make the team don't have to practice, and you give these other players a chance to develop. And to me, if the if the PA signs off with it, I think that'll be a great move. And also, it comes into the point of like we're always, you and I have always talked about from the coaching aspect of it. If we want to say we want to have more minority coaches, if we want to say we have more females in, in the workforce, you know, give them the opportunity in those leagues to develop their craft, to get involved in scouting, um, player operations, player development, um, your trainers, your GMs in, in the making to, to get an opportunity, your young coaches, the quality control coaches that's on your, your your roster, take them on over to the spring league, let them coach, and get, get them situated. And if you want to say you want to make a minority pipeline, start there. Have to get an experience. You know what yep. I mean? So so you, you can get all your, your checks and balances, all that stuff answered before you have the interview process. And then teach each other how to interview because we, we've heard that clown show of saying that guys can't interview, but who the heck knows what happens in these interviews? This is true. But if you want to, if you want to say you want to be a developmental league and you want to give more opportunities, you have to create opportunities. Create a spring league and give these opportunities because there are only 32 general managers, 32 starting quarterbacks. You know what I mean? So the more you create opportunities, the more you give people a chance to succeed. And I think that's where... I believe the spring league is going because if it just becomes, you know, one off, one off, one off, eventually there's not enough money to go around to help um, fight these leagues. Financially. You mentioned it, man. It just connects the ecosystem. When you talk about doing that, just was a value add, whether it's players like Kenny Robinson coming from uh, college. You talk about Pep, Pep Hamilton getting a head coaching opportunity and Coach Hayes, you got yourself getting as a DFO. Now you're a general manager at, at Maryland. Like those different things that happen, like just all over. I mean, you got Trey that's still moving around in the NFL. Like there's no Ashton, Wa- Ashton Washington. She got her start. Now she's one of the first black females and um, black women in the NFL and scouting. And, and like you, you saw those value adds, even from on the field, like Heineke's and different players like that. Uh, 
My man from Temple, the quarterback. Oh, PJ, my boy, PJ Wong. PJ, yeah, PJ. Yeah, yeah I mean, so like you see all these different guys and these opportunities, and it just shows that there's a value add when it was done right. So that's that's a very good yeah, answer, and, man. And when like, it's done right, you, you can create those opportunities. But if if whoever is supposed to be the the quote unquote the leader of those leagues, I don't think you you have proper leadership unless you can teach somebody. Period. How to do it because. It, it, it sucks every year that we go through this whole process of saying that we can't get enough minorities hired in, in these important roles and these rules are coming up where you basically say, hey, if you get a minority hired as a, as a uh, assistant general manager or general manager, you get three head, you get three draft picks. I think, I mean, it sounds good, but at the end of the day, you're just, are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you just creating that job just so you can get a draft pick? Or are you actually pouring into that person, developing that person to be a proper professional moving forward. That's incredibly true. And just like to give some context to even when Smoke's talking about just the recruit, like the interviewing process is he just, he's one of the few people in the industry that when a lot of coaches or black head coaches get a job offer that they, he's the one that kind of takes them through like the pre interview process of kind of what to go through, through the interview process and different things like that. So he has a connection with different uh, you know, prime head coach, black candidate, black head coach candidates, where you take them through and understand what they're ready for and different things of that nature. So just to give that context, when we talk about the interviewing process and even being a DFO and being able to talk to head coaches on a face-to-face level from an operational and executive standpoint is definitely a critical skill that a lot of people don't have or understand in the business. You've seen so much, done so much in the football business. What's the career end goal for Gerald Smoke Dixon? <sighs> You know what, Jay? I don't even have one. I really just want to. My, like, like I said, I told Locks the other day. I said, "This is my. This is one of my journeys that I'm on right now, and this is what I want to capture. I want to capture a national championship here at the University of Maryland, the black head coach, and I'm gonna work my tail off to get it. Don't know if I'm accepting. I don't know if I'm accepting. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm oh, here man, on a Sunday. Was, That's why I'm here on a Sunday. I'm gonna bang out some film again and. And, and, and get the week, the week ready to um, oh, yeah. for meetings or whatever. Because I just finally admitted to my wife um, when I went back down to Nashville, I said, I think I'm addicted to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. We're going to end it on that, man. Smoke, thank you for joining the Blueprints of Success, man. Just kind of what he said, just recapping and understanding that the football ecosystem is dynamic, understanding having the right information, understanding that you need a group to go along uh through the process with the, your, when you're getting re, getting recruited, understanding the value that you bring to a program, understanding where you actually fit, understanding what your end goal, not even goal, just being driven. We talk about being ambitious or driven um, in previous episodes and sometimes being ambitious, like you have a goal that you want to hit, but most touched on like the idea of being driven, no matter what mountains in front of you to climb it. And uh, for players looking for that transition that want to get into the executive uh roles or the coaching, I understand there's a level of humility that comes with it that you have to like kind of incorporate into yourself and build up. And guys going from, you know, that Maryland area down to the South and all those different transition points that he kind of shared, man, really giving a detailed blueprint for guys for success, you know, from like from a path of a high level player from the DMV area to Alabama, NFL, Grey Cup, all the good stuff and into coaching personnel and into the executive role. So we just want to thank Smoke for coming on. You guys get a chance, like, subscribe to this and download our blue chip 
checklist so you can navigate these recruiting waters and making informed decisions because it's a 30 40 year decision everybody's journey is different just make sure that you take make make sure that you uh, maximize your journey to the fullest extent so we just want to say thanks again for having us or coming along appreciate you champ no man appreciate you Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.